And if God can change five loaves and two fish uh, to... I'm going to keep talking. If he can take five loaves and two fishes and feel, and feel, feel, feed that many people, he can surely take a few coins here and there and, and make it meet our needs. It's good to see Don and Lynn here today. We miss you when you're not here. I think you ought to move up here, don't you? All in favor? Aye. The ayes have it. You have to move. So, anyway, I'm looking around to see if there's anybody else that I don't recognize. I guess not. Anybody want to be a visitor today? <laughs> Nobody? Man, if you're a visitor, you get this little bag that's got stuff in it that you might put in the corner of your uh, room and never use again. But you also get two CDs. They're free. And if you want CDs of my music, they're back on the table. They're free to take for anybody. Uh, play it, and it'll keep the spiders out of the house. <laughs> like I tell people, the the I don't, I'm not that good of a singer, but the songs are good. So, amen. Anyway, it's good to have everybody here today. Uh, Sheldon called me yesterday and asked me about preaching, which usually isn't that big of a deal, but my computer's been broke. So all my research stuff is on the computer, or well, actually it's on a big one of those big backup drives, but I couldn't recover it, so I had to start from scratch. And it's, uh, I can't even read it myself, so you're in trouble. I got marks all over everything. So anyway, good luck. Yeah, might be. It, it's supposed to be short, though, so. By my notes. Yeah. Okay, let's pray. I pray, Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to be in your house, Lord, and, and to, to be able to hear and minister your word. I ask to open the hearts of the people to receive the message this morning, and anoint me, Lord, to say the words you want me to say. We thank you for it, in Jesus' name. Everybody said, amen. How many know that the Olympics are going on? Yay. I like the Olympics, especially now since we didn't get to watch football because of all the idiots that are kneeling on the, uh, protesting our national anthem. So I can't watch that. And for the first time in over 50 years, I never watched the Super Bowl. And that's hard. But you know, the love of this country means more to me than a football game. And the only place that we're going to affect people is in their wallet. So, and they've lost a lot of money. Of course, they won't admit it, but they have. But they, see, some people are so uh, filled with hate or whatever you want to call it that they would rather lose money than do the right thing. So, and I know when uh, I was working, if I told the boss, I need to pray five times a day, they'll say, here, on your lunch, go pray five times. I wouldn't be allowed to preach on the company's time or pray on the company's time, except quietly to myself, let alone put down a prayer rug and pray or protest on the job. I wouldn't have had a job. And uh, so I'm very, very angry over that, and I hope they get their, their settled so I can watch football, because we like football. But I'm glad for the Olympics, because it's kind of filling that void. And I've enjoyed them. 
I don't like a lot all the events, but you know, I record it all and then fast forward to the stuff I'm not interested in. Usually if an American isn't participating, I don't care. Unless it's figure skating and that. Then I watch all of it. Or snowboarding. And um, so and we did win one gold in snowboarding yesterday, racing or something. Seventeen year old kid, first Olympics. And nobody thought he could do it. He just barely made the team, and he wins the gold. That's exciting. That's exciting. So, and it kind of encourages us, but uh, a lot of gold medals are given out during these Olympics, and the winners are very happy, obviously. They've, they've determined that a gold medal is worth a million dollars because of the fact of the opportunity they have to endorse products. So if you're a snowboarder, they will give you a lot of money to endorse their snowboard if you want a gold medal. Same thing with ice skating or gymnastics or anything. That's where the money is. And so they're really excited about that opportunity. Of course, they want to be the best. Uh, and the money, they aren't thinking about the money when they're doing it. They're thinking about being the best. And hopefully all of them are patriots. If I, I better not see anybody, if they want to go kneel during our national anthem. I'll tell you, if they do, I hope they're mobbed. <laughs> and care. <laughs> Can't say that. Lord, forgive me. I didn't mean it. <laughs> yeah, I did mean it. Lord, change my heart. <laughs> but even the ones that win the silver medal aren't happy about winning the silver. Even though you're the second second best person in the whole world. They want the gold. And they sit there and they spend hours looking and reviewing their performance, because everything's recorded nowadays on those kind of things. So they watch it and they rewatch it and see what mistakes they made so they can improve it. And that, the good thing about athletes is that failure doesn't keep them out of the game. They just figure out what they did wrong and try not to do it again. They use failure as a tool, and that's a good thing. When you can use failure as a tool to make your performance better, if you will, then that's a good thing. But generally, we don't do that. We use our past failures as a reason not to do anything. Why do I do this? Why don't I do this? Man, I'm just going to eat worms and die because I messed up. And it destroys so many people because they can't pick themselves up, dust themselves off, and go on. We like to dwell on our past, and mainly the failures. It's the failures we notice, isn't it? We sit there and we rewind them in our mind and rewind them and rewind them and contemplate them, and it ruins our sleep, it ruins our lives. And we do it thinking that somehow, some way, we can change it. But something that's happened in the past, we cannot change. We've just got to accept it and move on. Allow it to make us stronger, depends on what it is, but every failure is an opportunity to succeed in something else. And we need to realize that. Because failure is one of the worst things that happens to people. When we fail at things, we become depressed, we... Um, and a lot of people, sometimes it destroys their whole life. It destroys their marriage. It destroys their family. It does everything because they can't deal with failure. 
And I don't like to fail. I hate losing. I don't care what it is, even if it's marbles. I don't like losing. You know? And to me, there's no such thing as letting the grandkid win. They don't, I don't give them a participation trophy. If they win, they win fair and square, and they've got bragging rights. And you say, oh, man, that's mean. Well, that, maybe it is, maybe it isn't. I don't know. But kids got to learn at a young age that they're not going to win everything every time they compete. Because if they do, when defeat happens, they can't cope with it. But if they can do it, face failure and go on, they're stronger and their lives will be better. Maybe next time they'll beat Grandma. But they got to keep going, and that's what we got to teach our kids. No matter how many times you fall down, how many times you got to get up. One more time. If you stay down, you've lost. And maybe we're not good at everything in our life. There are things that we can't do. I know as, as good as I am at everything. <laughs> I know that there are things I can't do. I wish that when I was younger, I had the opportunity that other people had to do gymnastics or do figure skating or stuff like that because I was always been very athletic and I was good. I was always the first one chosen for a team when we played until we got older and girls weren't allowed to play. <laughs> there was a miracle of junior high happened and or middle school, I guess you call it, where girls all of a sudden can't play sports. The boys can, but the girls can't, which is ridiculous. I'm glad they corrected that. But, you know, if I could have done that, I might have, my body might not be as damaged as it is, or at least I would have got paid better for it. <laughs> you know, if you're going to get hurt, you might as well make lots of money doing it. So, but failure consumes us, and we can't, we had, if we're living in the past, we can't live in the present, and the present's called the present because it's a gift from God, Amen. and that's the way you got to look at it. Uh, let's see, now Israel had the same problem, I mean, you realize that Israel and the people there the, are no different than we are today, they're people just like us. They had the same kind of failures we did. Of course, they had the advantage of seeing more miracles than we got to see. But in reality, when you look at it, America is a miracle. The way that God protected us, the way that God prospered America. Sure, we had a lot of wars, but we've never lost one. I mean, I consider uh, Vietnam more of a loss than a victory because we pulled out of there. And if we'd have stayed just six months more, we'd have won that war. How do I know that? Because the leader of the other side said so. They were depleted. But when we get people in there that uh, don't know what they're, gonna, they're doing, I don't like to lose. And as a nation, we can't afford to lose, no matter what it is. We're the greatest nation on earth. And God has protected America, and he's guided us, and he's directed us. And if we, as a nation, will turn to him, he will bless us just like he did in the past. And people are so worried about things that happened in the past. Well, we've got to take down this general statue because he was a racist. 
Well, there were a lot of black people back then who were racist too. But we, we are trying to erase history, and you cannot erase history. We have history so we can learn from it. Irregardless of what these people did, whether they had slaves or not, and all of them had slaves, until they realized that it was wrong and they got rid of them. So they used that, uh, their, their mistakes to go forward. But now we as a nation, we want to change history and get rid of everyone that owned a slave. Well, they were all, there were black people that owned slaves. I don't know whether you knew that or not. And the black people weren't the only ones that were slaves. There are all kinds of nationalities that were slaves. But that's the one we focus on. And I get so irritated when I see them taking down all these uh, statues because they want to change history. And you can't. We have to look at our past only as a way to move forward. And if the past isn't there, how are we going to do that? Especially as a nation. <clears throat> and the problem today is if you don't gr agree with the other side, we're racist. That's what they, call, they pull out every time. I guarantee everyone here, if you talk to somebody from that line of thinking, you will be called a racist. Because if you don't agree with them, you're a racist. And I can't agree with everything they do. Some of the things they do are good, but a lot of things aren't. They're so focused on the stuff that don't matter, they can't focus on the things we need to focus on. I mean, we're at war right now, and we need to win that war. And that's where our focus needs to be. And quit all this fighting amongst ourselves. And that, so that was extra. That's not even in my notes. You got that for free. So all of a sudden, that church sermon's getting longer. Because I barely saw, I haven't hit my first, first scripture, and that's in the first paragraph. <laughs> Isaiah 43, 18 and 19. Obviously, I didn't get an opportunity to put it up on the screen because I didn't have my computer. So you'll have to just read along in Isaiah 43, 18 and 19. And we'll be going over this verse several times. And it says, forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do, not, do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the desert and streams in the wasteland. Now, Isaiah's writing to the children of Israel at a low point in their history. They were in captivity. Now, this was a group of people that thought that the things that they had, they would keep forever. And they lost everything and were brought, taken into captivity. So their home was gone and everything that they knew was gone because of the captivity. And that's who Isaiah is writing to is the children in, that are in captivity. But we can glean so much from that because it not only applies to them, it also applies to us. Now God know, knew that we cannot dwell on the past if we're going to look forward. If we're going to go forward, we cannot dwell on the past because doing that will destroy us. <clears throat> I said looking back keeps us from looking forward. And if you're always going backwards and not looking forward, sooner or later you're going to fall off stage, fall off and fall. If I do this without looking forward, I'm going to fall off. And it won't be pretty. I'm not going to demonstrate because my body can't handle it. But we, have, we can't keep focusing on the past because it, it will destroy us. 
We can't depend on past victories to sustain us. Now, the children of Israel had many victories. They uh, left Egypt after God performed miracles to gain their freedom. God allowed them to conquer the land of Canaan, Canaan, which was their promised land. They even survived a split in their nation. Now, that was a lot for a country to go through. And God has also provided us with our freedom. If you look back in our history, you're going to find a lot of miracles. There's a, I think it's the Philadelphia Experiment or whatever, that talks about how they were going over the Constitution and they were trying to decide whether or not they were going to form a new nation. And of course, like anything else, they had people against it and people for it. But one person got up and, and told them, you know, we need our freedom. Basically, that was the essence of it. I don't know, it was a long speech. But it was, a, you know, get the movie if you want and watch it. But he got, uh, I think it was a Philadelphia experiment, maybe not. Anyway, this guy got up and talked about all the advantages of freedom and all the advantages that they needed to make have happen for the people of this new land. And that person, because of what he said, they voted yes. But the problem was, Nobody knew who this, this person was, and they could never find him afterwards. So it was kind of a, you know, a miracle that we don't hear about that happened in our history. Because God wanted America to be formed, and God wanted America to prosper. And God will do everything he can to make that happen. But we have to be involved in it. Sometimes God does things, but generally he does things through it through us. He does things for us all the time that we don't see. And when you're in the middle of a problem and that, it seems like, oh, everything is just falling apart. <clears throat> and you can't see any way out of the situation. And you're sitting there, and we sit there, and we question God, say, what in the world are you doing? What's going on? I've done that a lot. I still do it sometimes. And I get aggravated, and I tell God I'm mad about it. It's okay to tell God you're mad. He understands and he can take it. But if we don't, if we just sit there and let that just build up in us and build up in us, it's going to destroy us. So God, it's okay to tell God I'm mad at you because we have to acknowledge it. So I tell God I'm mad at you, God, because these things are going on and I know you could have intervened and helped me get through this a different way. But you didn't. But see, I can't see the future, but God can. But after I get it out there, then God starts working in my heart to get rid of that stuff in my heart about the situation. But he can't do that unless we get it out there. They say, talk about the elephant in the room. Well, the elephant sometimes is in our heart, and we have to deal with it and allow God to deal with it, basically. Because if we don't, It'll destroy us eventually. Everybody that's backslidden, there was a point in their life where if they would have just told God those things, God, I'm mad at you. I don't like what's going on. <clears throat> and got it out there. And said, God, I don't like feeling this way. Please take it away. There was a point in every backslidden Christian's life where they had that opportunity but didn't take it. Their anger over the situation can tip them from doing it. 
So we as believers, when bad things happen, must remember that we cannot do that. We have to face it and we need to tell God how we feel about the situation and allow him the opportunity to help us because every bad thing that happens to us helps us grow and prosper. I know we don't think it does. I look at my life and I think, God, why in the world did you allow all this stuff to happen? I hate it. I still have some episodes that I had guarding my blood pressure and I read all the time, but sometimes I do. Yes, yesterday I had, I'm glad it was yesterday, not today. I just sitting there drinking coffee and all of a sudden I was gone. I just blacked out and the coffee, one of them things, spilled coffee on me. Randy had to get me to bed. And I don't remember that. <laughs> and that's, it's, that's scary. You know, at least I was sitting down. Every time I've got hurt when I broke my leg and that, I was not sitting down. I was going from point A to point B when it happened. And, <laughs> and I never fall soft. <laughs> How many know that, that cement is hard? Even carpet, though, how soft it is, it's still hard. So I get frustrated with that a lot of the time. I tell God, what in the world's the purpose in not healing me through this? Now, I can sit there and, be, and I tell God I'm angry about it because I am. Every time it happens, I say, God, I, I don't understand. You could prevent this from happening. And I don't understand everything that goes on, but one day I will. I just have to be able to trust God to get through that and get there. But I guess that when we get there, we won't care. We'll be too busy running the streets of glory and eating <laughs> that we won't care. <laughs> so, but that's what the children of Israel were doing. They kept looking behind and they couldn't move forward and we can't move forward. Past victories won't help us at all. They needed a miracle, but they needed a new victory. Something new that was going to deliver them from this captivity. And if you're in a situation and need a miracle, it's an opportunity that if we trust God, God will work it out. If we just got to hang in there and don't give up. The question isn't what has God done, but what is God doing now? We can't see God working in our lives. I wish we could, but we can't all the time. I was watching, you know, I don't watch curling that much, but it's kind of channel changing and looking at the guide at the same time. And I'm not kidding you, even though I didn't watch it, it was kind of interesting to watch how they can get something to curve in between two of those, whatever you call those things, to knock, to get in, the score. That's amazing to me. Takes a lot of skill in a guy with a broom. I could probably do that sport, maybe. <laughs> but that isn't something I normally watch, but Americans were playing, and they lost, so I wasn't happy. But, <clears throat> but that's kind of interesting, you know, to watch how they can change things. Something that seems to be going in the wrong direction all of a sudden starts turning. And that's what God does in our life when we just stick it out. You know, God's there with a broom trying to get us to go in a different direction than we're going. 
But we just quit. We just sit down on the ice and say, God, move me. God doesn't move things that aren't moving. <laughs> anyway, not necessarily physically, but in our mind and in our hearts. <coughs> now, in order to move on to new things, we can't allow past failures to possess us or by us dwelling in the past. We have to move on to new things. Now, every time he blessed the children of Israel with good things, they returned evil things. God gave them a temple, they gave him idol worship. God gave them truth, they lived and proclaimed a lie. God gave them his commandments, they lived like they were suggestions. God gave them wealth, and they used it to abuse the poor. God gave them himself, they gave him nothing but rejection. Now the children of Israel didn't receive anything didn't the children of Israel screwed up, but God still loved them. That's the message of this. God loved them and he wanted them to change. He only wants the best for us too. If you look at their history, you realize that they did get out of captivity. Eventually, after he uh, told them how many years, God told them how many years they're going to be in captivity. Seventy years you're going into captivity because they refused to honor the Sabbath, broke his commandments. And so when Daniel realized that, that's when he started praying. Oh boy, captivity's almost up. It's set almost 70 years. I gotta, you know, pray because I know that I believe God's gonna do it. And that's when the angel Gabriel came to uh, <coughs> Daniel. And because of that, we know a lot about future events. And things that happened thousands and thousands of years ago were watching being fulfilled today. Whatever God says it, he'll do it, period. Whether I believe it or not, God's word is not, uh, doesn't rely on my believing it. It's true whether or not we believe it or not. And he will do what he said he will do, period. <coughs> Isaiah 43, 18 and 19, or 18a said, former, the former, forget the former things, do not dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing. God wasn't condemning them for the past because they couldn't change it. So what good would it have done? Now, if we're being condemned, that isn't God. God convicts, but he does not condemn. Conviction is when God nudges you in a certain direction and says, you know, you know, you shouldn't do that. You know, you need to do this. And he just kind of speaks to your heart. Condemnation is, oh, man, I'm going to hell because I failed God, and, and I did this, and I made this big mistake, and there isn't anything I can do about it, and just condemn, 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 condemn. That's the devil's greatest weapon that he uses against us is our past. Now, I have a shirt that says, should have wore it today. <laughs> if you want to, um, when the devil reminds you of your past, remind him of his future. Because he has a future. He's going to be in a pit. And he's going to be in the eternal fires of hell. But it isn't his time yet. When it's his time, it will happen. I want his time to come, don't you? <clears throat> I'm sick of all this. 
Of course, when, when God binds Satan for a thousand years, we're going to find out that we blame Satan for a lot of things he didn't do. Of course, he was happy to take the credit. We are our worst enemies to ourselves and to other people. So even though the devil is locked up for a thousand years, people will still be sinning. Because we are sinners. We have that nature within us. I don't care what. If you watch a little four or five year old kid walking outside when it's raining a little bit and there's a puddle of water there, what's going to happen? He's going to get in the puddle of water. Did I make him do it? No. He's an old boy, a puddle of water. Yeah, 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 yeah. Splishy splash. I watched one, one little YouTube video about the dog that went out. I don't know whether he's seen it or not. He said, oh, boy, mud. And this was a long-haired uh, dog. I don't know what breed it was. It was a big dog. <clears throat> he said, oh, boy, mud. So he goes out there. He said, oh, boy, mud. So he lays down in it. So, this is kind of cool. Starts flipping his legs around. And then pretty soon he's all covered with mud. And he comes home. Hi, Mommy. <laughs> Oh, yeah, fun, 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 fun. Of course, kids do that. They come home where you can't see them, too, when they've been playing in the mud. And they look like, what's the problem? <laughs> Was you in the mud? No. Was there any mud anywhere on your way home? No. Go look in the mirror. Oh, I wonder how that got there. <laughs> you know? That's the reality of it. We have that nature within it. It isn't a matter of what we do. We, it's, it's how much can we get away with before God steps in and slaps our hand. That's what I did with my daughter. She was really, really extremely overweight. She was wide as she was tall. <clears throat> and I told her, you are not going to go through life like this. Because I knew it wasn't healthy. She didn't have any uh, self-image about her. Nothing. This was destroying her. So I took the step, and she hated my guts for the longest time. I slapped her hand at the dinner table, and I said, one pork chop's enough. Otherwise, she'd have ate four. And then five minutes later, she wanted to eat again. But now she thanks me. She's thankful that I did that. But I'll tell you, I took a lot of abuse from her. <laughs> I hate you. I'm hungry. I'm still hungry. I only had a pork chop, mashed potatoes, and gravy, and, and a corn, and bread. I'm starving. And when you got a kid that's about this tall, and he's that, you know, you know they're not starving. The only funny thing about the whole story was that when she wanted to lose a few pounds, she called me and asked me what diet it was I put her on. Because <laughs> she wanted to try that marvelous diet that I had done on her. <clears throat> and I says, you really don't remember. Isn't it amazing how we forget the bad things? I says, it's called slapping your hand at the dinner table. Do you want me to come up and do that? But that's what life is. We have to go through. We have to allow God to slap our hands and tell us no. The problem we have in America is parents don't know how to say no. I'll tell you, 
I paddled my kids behind. And when they got too old to lay over my knee, I punched them in the mouth. I was a terrible mother. Yeah, they, they, they tried to take us to court over that. We had to go see the people in charge because our, our one kid had bruises. Of course, he got them from crashing his motorcycle, but, and he told them that, but that, and surely they wouldn't believe him. The parents are always guilty, aren't they? So we had to go in and talk to them. And they asked us, well, how are you disciplining your kids? And we told them what had precipitated that incident, that he had left school. But it wasn't his first offense. It was probably third or fourth offense. And his dad told him, you slough school, you're going to get your butt paddled. So he got his butt paddled because Randy could lay him over his lap. Of course, I could have too if I wanted to. I was as strong as an ox back then. Now, I don't think I could win a fight against a mouse. <laughs> and we had to go. And we told them how we raised our kids. And they says, wow, I wish I'd have been raised in your house. But don't spank them. Call time out. And we'll come and get them and let us stay in time out for a couple hours. I says, ain't no way in the world. If we tell our kids we're going to paddle their butts, we're going to. And how do your kids turn out when you paddle their butts? They grow up to respect elders. Of course, as you well know, Sheldon was my worst, worst <laughs> kid. I meant, he just seemed like, you know, like, I don't know whether you've heard Bill Cosby before and all the funny stories he tells about growing up where he says, the kids say, I cannot go to bed tonight unless I've had my spanking. <laughs> that seems like what kids do, isn't it? They just push you to the limits, push you to the limits. But see, kids want boundaries. They want to know what, where they can go and what they can do, and they trust you to do that for them because they cannot do it themselves. You are not called to be friends with your kids. You're called to be their parents. When they're older and leave home, then you can be their friends. And they will be your friends. I'm not talking about abuse. God created a butt for a reason. Of course, God had a, in the Old Testament, had a real good way of handling uh, juvenile delinquency. How many know what it was? They stoned them. So they, never, they only did it once or twice, whatever the parents could put up with. But the thing was, the parents had to throw the first stone. So God doesn't like non-disciplined kids. So parents, God has let you off the hook. And practice your religion by doing what God's told you to do, by disciplining and raising them up to know God. Do the best that you can. I know that, that you know, some kids, no matter what you do, they're going to do just the opposite. But if we do what we're supposed to do, then God will work in their lives. And even though they've grown up and gone and they're not serving God, they've gotten some of God in their lives. And there's going to come a time of day when God's going to start bringing that to the surface and they're going to start remembering and God is going to start convicting them. Not condemning, convicting them. So don't worry about it, parents. It doesn't matter how long it's been since they've talked to you. God will work it out. And you've got to trust God in it. You can't force it. When we try to force things, what happens? You break it. Try to force something in, something too big in a small hole, you break it. 
So we've got to remember that. God has a plan. <clears throat> Isaiah 55, 7 says, Let the wicked forsake his ways and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him turn to the Lord, and he will have mercy on them. And to our God, for he will freely pardon. Now, if we're going to get anywhere in our spiritual life, we must understand that we can't live on yesterday's faith. We have to have something that goes on every day. If you don't eat every day, you're going to get weak, sick, and eventually die. Same thing happens with your spiritual man that lives inside of you. You're going to get, they will get sick and die if you do not feed them. So we have to feed them. We have to feed that faith that they have in them. Every single day we have to feed that. Otherwise, we're going to get weak. If you pray and read your Bible every day and make it a habit, it's hard not to do it. But if you don't do it one day, it's hard. But if you don't do it two days, it's, it's still a little hard, but not as hard as it was the first day. By the end of a month, you won't, you won't care. It takes about a month to form a habit. So force your kids to do something for a month that's good. Read the Bible with them. Let them have an opinion. Say, this is what we're reading. Ask them what they think about them. Get those wheels turning. People ask me, well, how do you deal with, with uh, false religions? I said, i got to get their wheels turning. And because God says the truth will set them free. Not religion. Not your morality. The truth. And where is truth? Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through him. And we have that truth. So that's all we got to do is get the truth inside of them. Let them read the Bible every day. Pray with them every day. And then when they get older, they'll remember that. And it'll be hard for them not to. Do it at a certain time. Talk about God. Let them read something at the dinner table or whatever. Quit watching. Quit eating in front of the TV. Now, we were very guilty of that, except we moved into our new house, and I can't see the TV from where we're at. So I have to pause it <laughs> to eat. <laughs> so it's a good time as parents. I, we had the kids were supposed to be home for dinner. We always ate dinner together. And then, you know, that's a good time to talk, have fun, or whatever. Well, use that time to read a verse or something. Do something with your kids to get it in there. Get them in the habit of doing something. At dinner time, if you do it for all the years that they're little, when they grow up, they're going to be able to eat dinner without the word. They'll feel like, oh, something's missing. Something's missing. So when we do what God wants us to do, and that's God's will, that is God's will, I, ha I can do 100% confidence that God wants you. We did not necessarily dinner time, whatever's convenient for you as a parent, but do that with your kids. There was, a, I've heard of fathers and mothers that talk to their baby in the womb. They sing to them. And they read God's word to them. So they're already getting it. And they've already proven that kids learn in the womb. They proved, I don't have time to go through all the, the information that verifies that, but they do. They forget a lot, but they do remember a lot of things that goes on there. So you might as well be reading to them, singing to them, and doing what God wants you to do as not. I know I didn't feel like reading God's word when I'm, when I'm getting rid of my guts in the toilet all the time from being sick. 
I got so sick when I was pregnant, it was not a fun time for me. And it never went away. I was sick the whole time. So it's amazing that I had other kids after that. Because I hated getting sick. That's one of the things I hate worse. I can handle pain easier than I can being sick. So anyway, but God, God can work things out and we have to do our part. <clears throat> the children of Israel experienced spiritual blessings throughout their history. But when they forgot about God and tried to do it their way, that's when they got in trouble. And we will get in trouble if we do the same things. <clears throat> so old faith cannot deliver it from our present problems. The only thing that, the good thing that faith does in the past is when we reflect on the things God's done in the past, it builds our faith up to be able to trust God for the future. If God delivered you in a, through a problem in the past, he can do it again. Amen. So it's like count your blessings. Name them one by one. When we do that, it reinforces our faith. That's what God intended us to do about the, the past is remember those things to help build our faith, not destroy it. If you're looking in the past and it hurts your spiritual person, then you're not supposed to go there. When God forgives your sin, he not only forgives them, he, they didn't exist as far as he's concerned. We remember them, but God doesn't. They're casting the sea of forgetfulness with a no fishing sign there. So we're not supposed to go there. And I know it's hard to forget. Forgetting our past is hard, but forgetting is just not remembering. So when we feel like we're going back to something that was harmless, change the subject. Read a verse in the Bible. Sing something. I guarantee it, if you do that every time, the devil's going to quit uh, using that to get at you. So you want get to get the devil mad at you? Do that. He brings something up from your past? Read God's word. Pray. Sing. Do something. And then he'll quit doing it. And it'll make you stronger because it'll make you automatically focus on your faith now and how that builds your faith for the future. So that's the only time that God wants us to go looking into our past. Now, we do that a lot. We look at our lives. We have good friends. We had a lot of fun before we were Christians. We did. I'm not saying that, that being in the world isn't fun because it is. If it wasn't fun, nobody would be there. But we have more fun as believers than we ever had in the world. And that we have to be willing to find that. And how, where do you find it? The most fun you have, or you remember, is with family. The, our kids get together when they come over and they all happen to be there. They talk about growing up and the fun that we had and the things that we did and all that kind of stuff. Well, we as a body of believers need to do that. We need to remember how God did those things. And we laugh together and we, and we cry together and we pray together. That's God's will. That's why coming to church is important. If you don't come to church, are you going to go to hell automatically? No. But I don't want to stand before God when God says, how come you didn't go to church? He said, well, I had this on and that on. I guarantee you will be excuseless at that moment. Because there are no excuses. Coming to church on Sunday and that is an opportunity to get to know your family, to spend time with your family, and to be able to share with each other. Because that's important. That is what will strengthen our faith 
And then when we have an issue, we can call, and all of us can be praying with you. We'll pray with you. But if you're not praying, we're not praying for you. <laughs> well, we would. But generally, we want to be praying with you. Because like the Bible says, one cannot stand alone. You need two or three. It makes it really strong. We can't stand alone if we have to because we're never alone because we have the Trinity living within us. So we're never alone, but we need each other. <coughs> Another thing they did was they had faith. People do, when they look at fasting, they have faith and faith. And God doesn't want us to have faith in faith. He wants us to have faith in him. I can have, you know, that speaker isn't going to save me. But the God that provided the knowledge that built that speaker can. I can't say, oh, speaker, please deliver me. Oh, speaker, I need a job. Oh, speaker, I want a new car. Now, that's kind of ridiculous. But in reality, we are believing in our faith and not in God. I know God's healed because he healed me. So therefore, my faith is in the faith that healed me when it needs to be in God. And when we do that, that's when God starts working. That's when all of a sudden the strength in our, ourselves starts getting bolder and bolder. And pretty soon we're not whippy little Christians that you kick sand in their face. We're strong, a strong force to be reckoned with. And Satan needs to be afraid when, they, when your hit, feet hit the floor, he should tremble. Oh, no, she's up. That's what he should say. And with God, we can do that. Our faith is in God because there's not anything God can't do. Amen? Yeah. Psalms 85, 6 through 8 says, Will you not receive us again, that your people may rejoice in you? Show us your mercy, Lord, and grant us your salvation. I will hear what the Lord will speak. We need to embrace what God wants to do in our life and clarify our focus. And again, our, our verse that we're going to, for this message is, forget the former things, do not dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up to you. Do, do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the desert and streams in the wasteland. Now that's encouraging. If you're in a wasteland that's barren and there's nothing there, God says, I will deliver you. I will make a way through the wilderness. I will give you streams of life when you need it. Now perceive means to know by, seeing, care, recognition, acknowledge, aware of, understand. What do we see when we look at our life? Do we see possibilities or do we see failure? Fail <coughs> Excuse me. Do we see failure or victory? Because faith is seeing something as though it's already happened. So if you're having a problem in your life, you visualize through God's strength it's going to be solved. So you can rejoice in the victory. I know that a lot of people... You know, they pray, pray for things and prayed for things and prayed for things over and over and over and over and over again. And nothing seems to have changed. And I tell them, sometimes God wants you to quit asking and start receiving. You know, we pray because we know God can do it, but receiving is the hardest thing. 
It really is. We think, oh, no, it ain't hard for me. It really it is to a certain degree. You know, I'm okay with giving people stuff and doing stuff for people and that kind of thing, but I have a hard time when they give them to me. I really do. It, it's hard for me to accept that kind of stuff because I know it's, you know, whatever they did for it, and a lot of times it's people that really can't afford to do it. And so I feel bad that they spent their money or whatever on that to give to me. Of course, then again, I feel honored that they did. So it, that's what we got to do. We have to be able to receive the gift and start thanking God. So when we look at our problems, we say, God, thank you for solving this problem. I don't know how in the world you're going to do it, but I do know you will because you are the God that created this universe, and this problem is nothing to you. So I'm thanking you right now for what you're going to do because my faith is in you to do it. And keep doing that every day. Start thanking God, and God won't want to let you down. God will never let you down. When we believe in him, he doesn't leave us hanging there. He provides a way. The people of the children of Israel had a, had a choice. They could see their past and the problem or their present with their focus on God on solving the problem. And we have that same choice. We can focus on the past and our problems in the present, or we can focus on the future and thank God that he's going to work it out somehow, some way. Some believe God would never help them again. But they were wrong. No matter how much they deserved, God not intervening, he will because he loves us. Anytime we cry out to God, he's going to hear us. He promised to hear us. But we need to do our part. We need to open our hearts so he can fill our hearts with the Holy Spirit. And then he can use the Holy Spirit and speak to us through his spirit in order to direct us in the way we should go. <coughs> Some people think our life problems are too big for God. We think, you know, and we, uh, we live in a society that believes you made your bed, now lay in it. But God doesn't do that. God says, I know you made your bed, but I love you, and I'm going to do wh whatever I can to get you out of that bed and back on your feet. But we have to believe in him, we have to ask him, and we have to trust him. Romans 8, 1 and 2 says, Therefore there is now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus the law of the Spirit of life set me, from, set me free from the law of sin and death. And Colossians 1, 21, 22 said, And you who once were alienated, alienated enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now he has reconciled the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and blameless and above approach in his sight. And in order to discover what God wants us to do, we have to see the, the possibilities God sees in us. If we could just see us through God's eyes, our life would change. God only wants the best for us in every aspect of our life. Now, God would love to be able to make all of us billionaires. But the problem is that if we were, some of us, if we were a billionaire, it would destroy us. I keep telling God that isn't true. Honest God, I can handle it. And the people say, God, if you give me a million dollars, I'll tithe. I'll give you 10%. No, you won't. If you aren't paying tithing on the dollar, you'll never tithe on anything greater. Because it's easier to get, give God 10 cents when you get a dollar than it is to give him a thousand or 100,000 of a million. 
So I'll, I'll pray for you too, you know, that you all get a million dollars and you will tithe. <laughs> Reminds me of the story of these two guys. They wrecked and they ended up on this little desert island that was um, bare and there wasn't anybody there except them. And the one guy was always singing and having a good time. The other guy was just grumpy and complaining and cussing all the time and and it was just a, just hated life. And, you know, I kind of understand that. He was there alone with no, no uh, opportunity of being rescued or anything, and he hated it. And finally told that guy, he says, man, why in the world are you so happy when we have no future here, when we have nothing, and we're going to die here alone? And you just sit there and sing and sing and act like you're happy and everything like that. What's the matter with you? You must be crazy. He says, oh, I'm not. He says, I believe God, and I tithe. And the guy says, big deal. And he says, no, you don't understand. I tithe. And the guy says, I don't know what you're talking about. He says, well, I tithe. See, I make $100,000 a week, and I tithe on that. So I guarantee my pastor will find me. So, you know, tithe and, you know, your pastor will find you. So, uh, 2 Corinthians 3.17 says, Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Jesus came to set us free and deliver us from bondage. He, he's, when we come to him, he forgives our sin, but he also delivers us from the bondage of having to sin all the time. Sure, we will sin. We're sinners. We're going to sin because that's our nature. The Holy Spirit dwells within us. is always battling with our nature. And the one you feed is the one that's going to win. But God has, has this plan for you, to, nothing but the best. And he gives us a new purpose in our life, but he delivers us from that bondage that you, we have, that we have to sin. <clears throat> uh, the third step to God, finding what God wants us to do is to commit to his plan. Now, God has already got a plan in motion for every situation in your life. He had a plan in motion for when the children of Israel was in captivity. But there was a timing on that. There was a time for everything under heaven. I know we hear that all the time. Now, we know that God answers prayer with yes, no, maybe later. Maybe or later. But we have to keep praying. We have to keep doing what we're doing in order to let God's plan work. We're all kind of like a clock. We, we have, a, have one little part in there, the jewel, one of the jewels in there, and it's very important to the function of the whole clock. So God's plan is going to work. And you can't take that, that jewel out of, a, out of a watch and expect it to work. It won't. Even though there's thousand other pieces there, it's designed to work together. And God has a plan in motion that he's going to work it out for us. <clears throat> but see, they refused God's plan. They refused to follow him a lot of times, didn't they? And sometimes we do the same thing. And when we do that, we will remain in captivity to ourselves, to our past, to our sins. But that isn't God's will. Isaiah 43, 18 and 19. Forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. 
Do you not perceive it? I am making a way of the desert and streams in the wasteland. God had, already has a plan in motion. Are we going to follow him? That's where the answer is. When you go with God, it's like going downstream. It's real easy. When you ride the, ride the rapids of the Colorado River, it's really easy. It's a lot easier to go down against them than try to go up against them. And that's what God wants us to do. And that's what God needs us to do in order for him to work in our lives. Amen? Let's pray. Praise him, Father, Lord, I thank you for this day, Lord, and your blessings. And I'm thankful, Lord, for your plan that you have for everyone that is here. I'm thankful for the plan you have in my life. I know that sometimes I get irritated and I get angry at the things that are going on just like everybody else does. But I also know, Lord, that my faith is in you. And I know, Lord, that you're going to work out the situations in our life, no matter what it is. You have the ability to turn a problem into an opportunity to serve you, an opportunity for our faith to grow. And, Lord, I just pray, Lord, that wherever we're at in a situation, I pray, Lord, that you'd help us not to look back on the past except to use that past victories to spur our faith in you to work out the thing that's going on in our lives. I pray if there's somebody here this morning doesn't know you, I pray, Lord, that they would make that decision in Jesus' name. Everybody said amen. Now, I know that most everybody here is a 